So um, I don't know about you, anybody in here, but I, I wasn't always really like a list person. I became a list person later in life as I started to realize that like I wasn't very organized, I wasn't always good at following through, and so that turned me into a list person. I had to become one. Um, the like reminders app on my phone became like a saving grace for me. Like it is one of my best friends. It's just like, hey Siri, remind me to do this at this time. Hey Siri, remind me to do this when I arrive at this location. It's so handy. Like, uh, like that has changed my life forever. It has made me a far more productive person. Uh, when I was younger though, not really a list person other than like when it did come to Christmas. My, uh, my sister found like, uh, we've got like sort of tubs and boxes of things that we had written uh, when we were kids, school assignments from when we were kids, things like that. And my sister found this list of mine um, that was a list of uh, all of the Nintendo Wii games that I wanted from when like the Nintendo Wii had come out. But it wasn't just a list of the games that I wanted. It was like a full-on like presentation about why each game would be good. And I'd like written facts about it for my parents so I could present it. So it's like, we should play, we should be able to buy this game because this game will also like help my sister and I with our education. And we should play this game because it's not too violent and we know that you don't like violent video games. And so I like had like all of these li this list and then all of like the facts and figures about why this would be a good game uh, for us to get. And uh, I looked at the list and I'm like, we did not get any of these. It's like not one, not one <laughs> <laughs> uh, not one game on the list did we ever get, um, but it was okay because we had Guitar Hero 3, and that was the only game we wanted anyway. Like, we, we used that one as a family quite a bit. Um, so uh, that's what's really made this series work, though, is that it's all about lists. And so we've had people that have been able to come up and share about one of the most important Christmas lists at all time, the first Christmas list, and that is the genealogy of Jesus. And so, uh, thank you for joining us in this series, Christmas List. And over the last couple of weeks, you've been able to hear from different speakers about how people in the genealogy of Jesus uh, have um, sort of foreshadowed his coming and the connection between the two and who Jesus would be for us. So, for example, two weeks ago, we got to learn about how Boaz was Ruth's redeemer, just as Jesus would become our redeemer, which was such a beautiful uh, message about who Jesus is to us. And then last week, we discussed how David was a good shepherd to his sheep, and he protected them just as he protected the people of Israel, just as Jesus would become a good shepherd for us, and Jesus would protect us. So David's out there protecting his sheep from the wolves and the bears and the lions, and he's out there protecting the people of Israel from uh, Goliath, and then Jesus would come, and he would save us from our own sin, and he would protect us from the evils of this world. And he is our good shepherd. And so this morning, we get to talk about one more man from the lineage of Jesus who showed us what Jesus would be like. And so we get to dive into what Jesus' genealogy says about you, what it says about me, and what it says about him. If you haven't met me before, my name's Nathan. I'm our next-gen pastor here at Crossroads. I get to hang out with our kids, our youth, and our young adults. Uh, today, I get to hang out with everybody, though, uh, which is pretty fun. 
And so, uh, as we dive in, um, I want to talk about a guy named Matthew, first and foremost, because he's the one who wrote the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew was a, uh, actually a tax collector who Jesus invited to become a follower of him. And so he left that world of collecting taxes behind, and he started to follow Jesus and became one of his 12 disciples, one of Jesus' 12 best friends who would walk with him during his three years of ministry, learn from him, and Matthew would actually write about the life of Jesus and would write about uh, who Jesus was. And something pretty cool is Matthew was specifically writing to like a Jewish audience, and so we see a lot of Matthew's writing is, is about that, and it's geared towards that, and that shows in Jesus's genealogy, where uh, Matthew wants to show, like, if you follow Jesus's line back, you get to see the different people in his family, and how they're, uh, and how he, it comes from, like, the Jewish, uh, this Jewish, royal Jewish lineage, and uh, that's pretty neat, and so in Matthew chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we see Matthew writing about Jesus. If we could throw that verse up there, yeah. And we see that Jesus, uh, his lineage is found in this uh, royal lineage, right? Hezekiah, who was one of the kings, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. So this is partway through Jesus' lineage. We're a little bit into it there. And um, we're really going to be focusing on Josiah today. That's going to be the guy that we really want to take a look at and how he foreshadows who Jesus would be. But who are Manasseh and Ammon? Who are Josiah's grandfather and father? Uh, they can clue us into the world that Josiah was actually born into. And you'll see how this connects to you and me as well. If we could throw up the verse from 2 Kings chapter 21, let's look at 1 through 6. Ooh, it's a small font. All right. I'm going to read it here. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Okay, this is Josiah's grandfather. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. Okay, it's a long time. That's a long time to be in charge. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord has said, In Jerusalem, I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced divination. Insulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. In this chapter, we see that Josiah's grandfather was practicing all sorts of evil. We see human sacrifice. We see speaking to the mediums who would then speak to the death, uh, speak to the dead. We see that he's building altars in the high places to false gods. And all of these things together begin to arouse the anger of God. God is not happy with the way that King Manasseh is ruling over Israel. And he does this 
for 55 years, a very long time, that the leader of God's chosen people is literally leading the people away from God. In fact, it goes on for a few more verses about all of the evil things that he's doing. But I want to stop one more time in verse 16, where we can really see just how bad things have gotten under King Manasseh. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He has shed so much innocent blood that the city is filled from end to end. The capital, where the temple is, of God's chosen people, right? It's a really horrible situation, and it doesn't get much better with Manasseh's son, Ammon. Okay? Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for two years. So, a much shorter reign. His mother's name was Meshulamith, daughter of Haraz. She was from Joppa. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father. Not his heavenly father, but his father, unfortunately. Okay? Worshiping the idols that his father worshipped and bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and he did not walk in obedience to him. Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Ammon, and they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. So we've got 57 years combined between the two. We've got 57 years of evil, of worshiping false gods, of desecrating the temple. It's just this horrible period that Josiah is born into and becomes king in. Um, it doesn't say it here, but they made Josiah the king in his father's place at eight years old. This dude is so bad. They're like, we would rather have an eight-year-old rule over us than you. You are not good for us. You are bad news, right? He was so bad that they put his son on the throne and they killed him. And after only two years of his rule. So the world that Josiah steps into, uh, he's born into it and then becomes king in, is a really rough, it's in a really rough state. It's a world where the people of God are worshiping other gods. They are going their own way and they are doing what is right in their own eyes. That's actually a common theme in the Bible and it's even a common phrase. You'll hear that the people did what was right in their own eyes. That's just another phrase, another way of saying that they were sinful, that they were falling in sinful practice. They're going against what God would want. Like our own, I feel. Bless you. We see that uh, maybe we're not sacrificing our children in the fire, right? It's not quite exactly the same, but perhaps we are worshiping other things in our own lives, right? Perhaps you're here and you've been tempted to worship money. Video uh, games, or it's sex, or you worship your job, or you even worship your own family, right? Like there's other things in our lives that we'll, we will be tempted to place number one, that we will be tempted to erect a high place to in our own lives, right? And build an altar to it there. Whatever it is in your life that it's what you will always 
talking about something else, whatever you're spending the most money on, those are the things in your life that you're probably going to be tempted to worship. Those are the things that can become number one and that you will choose instead of God. And not only do we worship idols, but we can sometimes also be tempted to make ourselves the lords of our own lives, which we see happening as well. We can do what is right in our own eyes. We can do things ourselves and in our own way, and we can neglect our creator God, who wants to be our redeemer, who wants to be our good shepherd, and who wants to be king of our life, and will reject him to go on our own path and to do things our own way. The world that Josiah is being born into is very similar to that that you and I were born into as well. And not only was Josiah's world much like ours, but we also see that it's very similar to the world that Matthew was born into, the world that Matthew was living in and that he was writing in when he wrote about Jesus. Matthew lived under cruel leaders who sacrificed children. Here it's Manasseh. For Matthew, it was King Herod who would kill the children in order to find and kill Jesus. The Jewish people had desecrated the temple in the time of uh, Manasseh and Ammon by creating uh, idols and altars in the temple to false gods. And we see that during the time of Matthew, there were money money changers that were in the temple and they were desecrating it that way. And they were actually selling uh, uh, items for sacrifice at exorbitant prices to take advantage of the poor. Because the poor would come to the temple so that they could make sacrifices. And they often wouldn't have something on them themselves. And so they would buy something there. But they would hike the prices super high so that they could take advantage of them. We see that the religious leaders of the time of Manasseh and Ammon were proud and selfish, and we see the same thing in the life of Matthew uh, as well. And so we see that Josiah, we see that Jesus, and we see that Nathan Shaw were all born into a world where leaders are cruel and selfish, where children are suffering, where false gods are worshipped, and where people do what is right in their own eyes. And you've been born into that world too. So something had to change. Something had to change in the time of Josiah, and something had to change in the time of Jesus. And so let's take a look at Josiah's story, and let's see what ultimately changed. So 10 years into Josiah's reign, when he was about 18 years old, because he started at eight, like we said, um, he had the temple repaired uh, because it was starting to fall into disrepair. And uh, while he's having the temple repaired, uh, the book of the law is actually discovered by one of his priests, a guy named Hilkiah. He uh, recovers the book of the law, which we don't even know at this point, had apparently seemingly gone missing and had largely been ignored. That much we do know. We know it's been ignored. What we don't realize until it's discovered, until it's recovered, is that it's gone missing for apparently many, many years. And so Hilkiah recovers the book of the law, and he uh, ends up bringing it back to Josiah, and he ends up reading it in Josiah's uh, presence out loud, reading from the book of the law, something that Josiah maybe had never heard before. It's hard to know, but it's been gone for so long. And this is what it says. In 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11. 
When the king heard the words of the book of the law, yeah, I can't read that. When the king heard the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us, because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Josiah hears the words of the book of the law, and he tears his robes in sorrow, in shame, and whatever he's feeling, right, with this guilt, because he's not been listening to what God has said. And he realizes that God is not going to be happy with him because those who have gone before us, my grandfather, my father, now us, we have not obeyed the words of this book and we have not acted in accordance with what is written there concerning us. Okay? That is what we see. So seemingly he's not heard this before. Okay? His response tells us that he did not even know, right? That they were not following. And now that he knows, he's like, something needs to change. And so God responds in 2 Kings, uh, verse 18. He says, tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the words that you have heard. Because your heart was responsive and because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and you wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster that I am going to bring on this place. And so they took her answer back to the king. So they go and they speak to a prophetess, and she gives the response. This is what God says. God says that you will not be laid waste to, right? And, which is the, uh, because you have humbled yourself and because you have repented. We see that God loves Josiah's repentant heart. He loves that Josiah is going to make him the Lord of his life, and he's not going to do what is right in his own eyes. He's not going to own his, go his own way. And God loves that. He does so not only for himself, Josiah. Josiah is not just repenting for himself also. Josiah is also going to help the people of Israel turn back to the Lord also. And we see that Josiah renews what's called the covenant. The covenant is the promise between God and Israel. And he pledges that they are going to up the law. Josiah makes this pledge, okay, because he's heard the book of the law, and he's heard the law is God's way for the people of Israel to live, and a part of this covenant, this promise between God and the people of Israel, is that they would uphold the law, and then God would uphold his promise to them, and God has been faithful, but the Chapter 23, I know we've been reading a lot. This is our last sort of longer passage. We see that uh, the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar, and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees, 
with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in his book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The covenant is something that we've been talking about quite a bit in youth group recently because something really cool that we don't talk about enough is that God actually invites us to partner with him which is an exciting thing. We talk a lot about how God is our father. We talk a lot about how he's savior. Maybe we use the word redeemer. We don't always talk about how we get to partner with God, but that's something that he actually invites us to do. He invites us to partner with him in bringing heaven to earth, which is exciting. That's what the book of the law is all about, is this is how you bring heaven to earth. This is how you live the way that God would have you live right? And so Josiah pledges himself to, okay, we're actually going to fulfill our end of the covenant now. He's sorrowful because they've not been doing a good job of it thus far, but he's committed to, in his lifetime, ensuring that they're good partners to God now. Now, unfortunately, this would not ultimately last. Israel would eventually fall back into sin and back into doing what was right in their own eyes. But Josiah's message is similar to what a similar but superior king would tell Matthew later on. In Matthew uh, chapter, I believe it is four, uh, we see that Jesus says this to Matthew and to others. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The message of Jesus from beginning to end was that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that heaven was coming to earth, and that we were to help with that. We are to follow the example of our king, Jesus, and we are to live as sons and daughters of the king of kings. That was his message, to live as sons and daughters of the king of kings. Our king is not Manasseh, thank God. It's not Ammon. It's not even Josiah. Our king is Jesus, and we can follow his law. And his law would be much more simplified into one phrase, a phrase that I think we've got up there right now, to love God and to love others. Now, we can't always obey that law on our own. Just like the people of, uh, the people of Israel would not ultimately be able to follow what Josiah was telling them forever, and they would slip back into their old ways, we often slip back into our old ways too, But what's really cool is that we are empowered by Jesus and by his Holy Spirit to fulfill our end of the covenant. It's a covenant that we can keep with his spirit in loving God and in loving others. And where is a good place to start? Well, Josiah teaches us what the best place to start is, and Jesus teaches that too. A repentant heart is a good place to start fulfilling our end of the covenant. A repentant heart is a good place to start. We're taught from like a very young age to say sorry, and we're told in church uh, by people like myself very often that we should repent, but I don't think we always do a good job of saying what that means. I don't think we always do a good job uh, of explaining what it entails. Repentance is turning away from sin and focusing on God. It's not just saying sorry and then going back and living the same way that we lived before. The young King Josiah did this, and his story can teach us to do the same, because a true repent- an act of true repentance is not just saying sorry. It's a life transformation. So Josiah 
in 2 Kings 23, we see how he repents. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and the spiritists, got rid of the household gods and the idols, and all other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. We see what Josiah does is he scrubs the temple of the Lord clean, ridding it of the things that the people were tempted to do, to follow, and to practice. Now, we don't have like a physical temple that we need to scrub clean, but we are the temple of the Spirit today. And there are things in our lives that we need to scrub clean in order to repent and follow the way that Josiah did and the way that Jesus commanded us to do. Right? We've, we, as the temple of the Lord, we need to throw out our household idols, and we need to tear down the altars to other gods in our lives. And there's things in our lives that need to go so that we can be good partners to God and so that we can uphold our end of the covenant in loving God and in loving people. We all have something that can be scrubbed out. I mean, this morning we talked, I mentioned a lot about like false idols, right? And maybe that's what needs to be scrubbed out of your life. Maybe there is something where you're like, yeah, that's like clearly number one in my life. Like I'm thinking about it right now while you're talking, Nate. Like (laughs) there's something else on my mind, on my heart that I really care about. And maybe that needs to go. Maybe for you it's like, I have a bad attitude, and that's what needs to be scrubbed out of my life, is my bad attitude. Something that we talked about recently here at Crossroads. Uh, Maybe, yeah, maybe you're negative. Perhaps you're here this morning, and you need to uh, work on scrubbing your temple clean of insecurity, because you're like, I have this negative view of self, and I struggle to believe that, like, God made me, I struggle to see myself the way that God made me, Right? Maybe there's selfishness in your life. Maybe there's pride in your life. Maybe there's people in your life where it's like, I need to like cut off some of those relationships because they keep me from following God, right? Whatever that thing is that's holding you back from bringing heaven to earth, that's what might need to be scrubbed out so that you can pursue God's calling in your life. I know for me, like when I was thinking about this, it was like one of those things where it was like immediately clear of like what needed to go, like while I was writing this. Like for me, it, I need to surrender my, my thought life because lately I've been extremely negative, which is not, it's not normal for me. Like that's very much not been uh, something in my life uh, very often. But for me, I have not been meditating on the things of God. I have not been focusing on what is good, what is holy, what is praiseworthy, as like the Bible talks about doing. And that's taken my thoughts to a lot of dark places. And I've been dwelling on things that are negative. I've been sitting a lot in like hopelessness and dwelling there. And some of my thoughts have been sinful because of that. So I want to take every thought captive and I want to make it obedient to Christ, as the Bible also talks about. And so that's what I need to repent of. I need to repent on the places where my mind has been dwelling. And so I, this morning, confess that to you and I repent and I turn from it and I want to scrub my mind clean. And I want to give us a chance to do the same. I want us to think about 
Where is Jesus not king in your life? Uh, and how can you surrender some of those things to him? And it's going to look different for everybody. Um, people are going to have different areas of their life that they've not yet surrendered to Christ. And um, while we're thinking about that, I want us to listen to, I've, I've got a song that we're going to listen to today. And um, it's actually, it's just the genealogy of Jesus uh, that's going to be sang in the song. So the lyrics are the genealogy of Christ. Um, and, and while we're listening to that, I want to give you a chance to think about this question. Where is Jesus, who is the final king in this genealogy, uh, a baby who would be born that we get to celebrate next week, where is he not the king of your life? And how can you repent of something? How can you turn back from him? And how can you make him number one and Lord of your life? And uh, it's a little bit of a longer song because Jesus' genealogy is pretty long. So we'll be back here in about five minutes, and I'll close us out, and then we'll bring up prayer teams. But just be thinking about that during this song.
a list of a lot of different types of people. Um, there are some people on that list that are heroes of the faith, as we talked about in a recent series here. There are people on that list who are great sinners, people that got to be in the lineage of Christ who uh, maybe did not repent and did not turn from their ways and did not bring heaven to earth. But if you're here and you're like, I don't align more with that, today is an opportunity to start telling a new story. It's never too late. You're never too far gone for a God who loves you, who would send his only son to be born of a virgin to die for you. That word repentance uh, can be thrown around in, in church circles quite vindictively. Like maybe that's a word when you hear it, you associate it with a preacher on a street corner with a sign saying, turn or burn, repent, or right, or face the fires of hell. And maybe that's what comes to mind for you. But for Jesus, it's an invitation to come and to start telling a new story. If we could throw up that verse from Acts, it talks about repentance a bit of a different way. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing might come from the Lord. That's a pretty different message than maybe the one that you've heard before, but that's a message 
that comes from the followers of God who wrote the Bible for you and for me so that we could learn and so that we could experience a time of refreshing. So whatever that thing is that came to your mind that you could wipe out, that you could scrub clean from your life, don't let that bring shame and condemnation because that's not what God wants for you. God wants you to be refreshed because he loves you. And so I'm going to pray, and then our uh, prayer teams are going to come up, and we're going to make ourselves available uh, to pray with you as well. Um, Because, man, there's something about repenting, right, and sharing with God. But God doesn't just want us to confess uh, to him, though he does want us to confess with him. There's also power in confessing with each other. And so if there's somebody that you trust in your life that you can pray with and that you can talk about what that thing is that you want to scrub from your life the way that Josiah scrubbed the temple clean, then I encourage you to share that. We would love to pray with you, but there's people in your life who would love to do so as well. And then we invite you to join us next week on Christmas Eve where we get to celebrate the Christ together. Jesus, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you that you love us, and thank you that you invite us to repent and to be refreshed. I pray that each of us can do so this morning, God. I pray that, uh, I pray that we can share with you, that we can confess it, that we can turn from it, and that you will, through your spirit, give us the strength to turn from those ways and to turn back to you, God. I pray that we can partner with you in bringing heaven to earth, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, God. And we want to partner with you in your perfect plan, Jesus. And thank you for this opportunity to celebrate and remember what you began all those years ago with Mary and with Joseph and a little town called Bethlehem, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We look forward to seeing you next week on Christmas Eve.